trying to think this week, final word to, um, to speak to and encourage you all. I'm so thankful for this season for Cara Barnaby and I that's uh, coming to a close, time in the States, and it's a chance to look back. Uh, six years we've been here, but it actually goes back my, my journey with America a fair bit longer than that. Uh, I was in, got engaged in America. The photo up there, that was uh, December 29, 2009 in Chicago. I was uh, married uh, in Indianapolis here in America. We actually had a, a, a day on our honeymoon was actually in Boston. Way, I mean, who would have known we we're going to come and end up living and, and serving here in the city all those uh, days back then. I um, got the opportunity to, to study here and to, to graduate from Gordon-Conwell. I was ordained here um, in Church of the Cross. You're a, a part of this uh, only significant uh, part of our, of our lives. Uh, I've been to, to some of your, your beautiful and iconic places in this country. I've seen the, the Grand Canyon on a road trip there. I've been to Hollywood and the Statue of Liberty and Niagara Falls. I've been to Times Square. been to, to some of your great temples. The basketball and, and baseball and, and football there. been through our different seasons of life, quite figuratively, four, four seasons uh, here. Enjoyed the great uh, snowstorm in the winter a few years back. Been through the springs and, and fall and summer. Of course, the last three years has been a great joy to have done this with you all. Uh, we've been in parts of, Kara's um, been a part of the moms group, been part of various uh, neighborhood groups. We really live out this reality in a more day to day way, this reality of walking together in spiritual companionship, bearing one another's burdens. Uh, living life and remembering who we are in Christ and as his family. I've also um, learned your, your cultural moments and uh, the, the liturgical rhythms of the year from uh, Memorial Day, uh, 4th of July, and I've tried to fit in and uh, embrace that. I eat your hot dogs and sorry about your soccer team, football team. Um, been through Halloween. But my favorite is uh, Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. I think it's a, it's a wonderful holiday. I've uh, got a couple of photos of ways that uh, we've been able to embody that as family here at Church of the Cross. Uh, Thanksgiving around a, a shared meal with uh, you. You have been and, and are a family here in Boston. And I love Thanksgiving, but I was reflecting on it, and I don't love it because it's cultural. I love Thanksgiving because I want to put it to you that it's countercultural. We, we ought to be a, a people of, of great thanksgiving because it's, it's a mark of the kingdom. It's a sign of the kingdom. It's not cultural at all, sadly, but it, but it is for us. I wanted to turn our attention to, to the song of Psalm 95 and just take a look at a couple of ways that I think this psalm embodies this countercultural praise and, and thanksgiving of the kingdom. Here's the first thing when we, when we take a look at Psalm 95. Something that really stands apart is that in, the, in this call to praise and in this call to thanks and, and to joy, we notice immediately that it, 
it recognizes that we are not self-reliant, self-made individuals. We, we are told that in, in our cultures, and I'll say our, it's the same when, where I'm going to New Zealand. We are told that we are self-made, that we're individuals, and we can be self-reliant. Psalm 95 remembers that. No, we're not. No, we're not. The psalm reminds us immediately that, that all of creation is the Lord's. Everything. And we're recipients of grace. Everything we have has been given to us and it is an act of goodness and generosity and love and provision of a very good creation. Take a look um, in, in verse 4 and 5. That all is His. That the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountain, the sea and the dry land. It's the Lord's. And so therefore, if we, if we start off and as we come into this countercultural song of, of praise and thanksgiving, it reminds us that we're recipients of grace. We've received, we've been blessed. We're not self-made, not self-reliant, we're recipients. And of course, from that comes this ability, this is great line, we're blessed that we can be blessed. We know that we'll receive so we don't have to fear and hold on tightly to the stuff that we have or think that that is a sign of how well I've been able to make myself as a sign of my accomplishments and my okayness. No, no, it's from the Lord and now free from that need to try to self-make. I can be a part of that blessing on and giving. It's in Thanksgiving where we're moved beyond ourselves and our own accomplishments. This week there was a, an incredible story I heard um, that happened on Tuesday night in a, in a baseball game uh, between the White Sox and the Tigers. And, and in the broadcast there was a, a moment that was captured on camera and, and a, a ball went um, foul and ended up in the hands of uh, 12-year-old Travis Blackwell. And Travis had, had the ball there and the camera shows him and he gets it he, and he walks back a few rows in his seat and he gives it to another young man. And clearly they um, must have followed up this story afterwards and spoke with him. But it turned out after that moment, um, apparently he gave it because he knew it was, was Michael's birthday. And so he wanted to, having got this ball, he would walk and, and give it to this other young man on, on his birthday. Well, someone must have seen that on the big screen, and so the next ball goes, goes foul. And an adult gets the ball and then walks and goes and gives the ball to Travis. It'd be a nice end, except then Travis gets up out of his seat again. He turns around and he gives it to uh, another girl who's behind. And I asked about it afterwards. He said, well, why? And he says, well, she'd never owned a baseball before. And he said, it's kind of like this line of awesomeness. Isn't that a great picture of the kingdom? There's a line of awesomeness. This incredible, gracious God who creates very good and in, in whom we lack nothing. And he says, let me bless you with this great creation. He says, I'm going to bless you and this idea, go forth and multiply, bear my image. Let it flourish. He says, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. Here you have and now go and bear my image and, and be a part of my work. Be part of this line of awesomeness. Psalm 95 remembers this and it encourages us because we recognize that oh, no, we are not self-made, we're not self-reliant. No, we're recipients of grace and that frees us 
and we get to carry on and be generous, just like 12-year-old Travis Blackwell this week. And people notice. And even uh, more striking and maybe more countercultural. So we don't like, we, we like the idea of being self-made. We don't like the idea of our creatureliness. And yet the psalm reminds us, no, we, we have a maker. We have a maker, and it's a good thing. We're fearfully and wonderfully made, knit together in our mother's wombs. We are loved. It's like a father looking down on a child. But we're creatures. And in recognizing that, it produces a great humility. I'm not my own. I have value and, and worth, but I'm not my own. And we see in the psalmist there, um, calls us to, to bow and kneel before our maker. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We come down and we acknowledge that in our thanksgiving. Think of even the word thanksgiving. Thank you. Even in our cultural climate, the very act of coming together and saying thank you immediately says, I've received something, doesn't it? Just to say thank you is countercultural in itself because I've received something. I'm not my own, I'm not individual immediately. But it says bowing down and praying thanks to the one who's given it all, our maker. As well as um, not being self-reliant, we're also not autonomous. I was listening to NPR some time ago and on um, all things considered, there was a, a report and an interview with a professor from the Kentucky University. And he had studied um, popular music for the last 30 or 40 years. And as he had studied popular music, he had looked at the lyrics in the songs. And what he had found is that if you use uh, song lyrics in popular culture as, a, as an indicator of um, like values and, and the way we think, he said that narcissism is on the rise. And he said 30, 40 years ago when you, when you studied song lyrics, there was the um, plural pronouns. It was about we and our and us. And as he looked and studied on, what we start to see is the, the music now is more and more, it's about me and about my and I. And so as, as the world goes down this path of autonomy and individualism, I want to take a look if you see the, the pronouns that Psalm 95 uses. It's a countercultural act of thanksgiving that re reminds us that we're not autonomous. We come and do this together as the people of God. Coming together this morning, it's about us and our. Us, us, our, us, 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 our, our, we, your, plural, your, y'all, all y'all. I got this. It reminds us we're not autonomous. We're to be a people of thanksgiving because it's a countercultural expression of the kingdom. Second part when I look at, at Psalm 95 is that look, thanksgiving is a, is a countercultural act. And it's this incredible sign of the kingdom because our praise and joy is not based on our circumstances, but on who God is. Yeah, I was up this morning, Barnaby's been waking up a little earlier, five o'clock, and I've um, been trying to take my responsibilities and take that on. So I've been getting him up, and one of the blessings of that is it's given me the opportunity to, to take him for a, just a walk. You're going to walk around 
uh, Jamaica Plain where we live, and one of the mornings this week, we crack a dawn, and we're just walking around, we ended up by the pond, as we sat there watching the, the ducks and the, and the geese in the stillness. I thought about those geese, and it, uh, it reminded me of Jesus' words to you, consider the birds, consider the lilies. So pray for us and thought about as many of you as I could come to mind and to pray. Uh, think about the times in the last six years and maybe even now, you this morning, and think of the anxieties of life. It can sap Thanksgiving from us, can it? Worries and cares of the world. The psalm calls us back to, no, to thanks, not because of circumstances, but who God is. And we remember that God is the God who provides the flowers and, and the birds. And so we give thanks. We continued walking with Barnaby and uh, there's a man I see regularly walking out, always on his own, um, alone. And I was thinking about him and thinking about our experience of, of loneliness. We've talked about this before, especially in recent weeks, that sometimes we feel in this city surrounded by people yet lonely as well. And I thought, well, who is who is God? He's the God that puts the lonely in families, is he not? God that gathers together, opens wide his table for us and says, come and, and eat and be with sons and daughters. And we get to lift that out and I was thankful for each of you and maybe loneliness is still something that some of you consider. Maybe you're new and you're visiting and yet I think about this, this God that is a part of work of bringing people in, putting the homeless in homes calling us family. It's also looking as I went across the road and just cars at 6.30 in the morning, and just ashen-faced people. So these cars just one after the other. It was like, oh dear. <laughs> just on the horn, angry, some distracted. So it is, isn't that just the reality sometimes when you get up in the morning? I know what, what your job's like in this season. I've had plenty of my time and know what it is to get in that commute. Maybe frustrations back home, maybe something that you said, maybe it's what's before you in the office or whatever your, your front line might be, might be at home. Anxiety producing sometimes could be incredible conflict there. Could be workplace bullying, harassment, decisions to make in terms of ethics. Um, it could be just questions about what you even want to do, what am I doing with this life? And so we I thought about these people on the cars just on their way in and and I thought back to the beautiful story um, at the start of Exodus. It's the story of the midwives. Pharaoh is, um, he's scared of the, of the Hebrew people and he, and he says, I want you to kill, kill their sons. Midwives, that's your job. That's what you have to do. What a, what a terrible thing to have to do. This, you're in this vocation and this, in this word and I hope none of us end up in that position in, in our vocations, but... I thought about those particular, we, we know their names, Shifra and, and, and Pua. And they start off in their workplace, they start off with a fear of the Lord. They know who's God in that place. And they go in and they, they go there to do whatever they do for the glory of the Lord. And they refuse, and I wonder what that must have been like. And yet they hold their ground, they, they fix their thoughts, and they, they are faithful 
to the work of the Lord in that workplace. And I thought, you know what, isn't that interesting? In that text, we never told Pharaoh's name. So we can feel very insignificant in our workplaces. We can feel like the decisions that we do, that the things that we're a part of are really meaningless and who would even know anything about us? And there's these people that are that maybe over us, can be unjust and powerful and everybody knows them and yet scripture never names Pharaoh. But you know who does see? God sees and God names his people, Shifra and, and, and Puah. In their workplace, in the main day, in terrible situations, they're now they're some of the heroes of vocational ministry. They go in there serving the Lord. Terrible circumstances, but their lives, ones of worship. It's, it's beautiful. God sees you, knows your name, wherever you are during the week. We can be thankful for that even amidst the struggle and the, the, the awfulness of what they were in. Carried on walking and as you turned the street, there was an ambulance came in and pulled into a driveway um, beside one of our neighbor's homes. And it just struck me, someone's day was about to radically change. Someone's week, maybe someone's life was about to change in that moment. Who thinks when you wake up that the rug could just be pulled out so badly from underneath you. I don't know what that was. Maybe it was a stroke, a heart attack. It could have been something less severe. I wonder if there was a, a parent or a, or a child, a sibling in that moment. We give praise, and yet we remember who God is, the God of comfort and mercy, the incarnate God who is with us in our brokenness and our, and our sorrow, our healer, our redeemer. That's the God that we turn to in, in the morning and think, even in our, in our, in our sorrow and when things are, are taken away from us. The God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Now, look, as we continue in Psalm 95, take a look at what, what does it say about this God. It's that we're not worshiping or we're being thankful to you because of our circumstances, but because of who He is. That's what we're thankful for. It's very countercultural. And consider in um, the end of the psalm, we didn't read through it. It's not in the, the annotator. We pray in daily prayer. But there's a warning at the end. It says, don't like, be like those people that put me to the test and, and go astray. He says, look, I'll remember and I'll have no rest. And yet in the psalm, we take a look and we think, although that is us, and we're not a people of thanks and praise so often. We do live for ourselves. We're not on the line of awesomeness, being generous. We do hold tightly to things. We're not people who can look beyond our circumstances at times and give thanks. And yet, when we look to Jesus and that incredible prayer in the garden that we heard in John 17, we see Jesus, the faithful one. We see the psalm mentions the rock of our salvation, the faithful one that's reliable stays the same. And there is Jesus who comes to the Father on his knees, unlike us sometimes. There's he who recognizes that all things are from the Father. And if you go through and read that prayer of Jesus, the most common word that comes up is, is give or gave or given, some sort of derivative of what the Lord has given. And he prays for our unity that we may be one as he and the Father are one. Not individuals. And he prays, Lord, would you make them one as we are one. 
He gives praise in spite of his circumstances, circumstances that we'll never know the magnitude of. And he does it and he says at the end, he says that they may have my joy in themselves. Jesus' prayer that we would know his joy. And yet we know that he says it was for the joy set before me that I endured the cross. What is God like? Who is the one that we're praising and thankful for? The one who withheld nothing, that would give his only son for his creation, for his creatures, for the world. That we would have that joy. And in there we see in verse 3 of Psalm 95 mentions a God, the great king. And we see in the resurrection of Jesus his great vindication that he is the son, the, the, the true king, who's overcome evil, who's overcome death, who is making all things new, is reconciling us to himself. That's the one we give thanks to, the one who has overcome the evil and the injustice that we see is ruling and reigning. And lastly, in verse 7, when the psalmist calls us to, to come into praise and thanksgiving, he talks about this, where the sheep of his pasture reminded that the one we're giving thanks for is the good shepherd. And when we come to the morning and we read morning prayer and, and this psalm, is, it's just part of it. Remember the great shepherd, Jesus, who's the one who provides for us. And we look forward to that day and that reality. He's the one who seeks us when we're lost, who restores us when we wander, who binds us when we're broken, guides us in the path of life, protects us and comforts us, walks with us through the valleys of the shadow of death, and prepares a table before us invites us to his table, arms wide open, to those who are formerly enemies and strangers, and says, eat with me. And if the psalm gives us the warning and says, if we turn away, we'll have no rest, Jesus is the one who restores that and opens the path to the presence of the Father, and it says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. So we're to be a people of praise, thanksgiving, not because it's cultural, but because it's countercultural. And it's countercultural in the way it's a sign of the kingdom of God, the way things will be. It's countercultural as well because thanksgiving isn't once a year, it's every day. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and worthy of thanks and praise. So today, as, as I wake up, and I think about you all, and I pray for you all. My final words to you is, is thank you. Thank you for being a family here in, in Boston, for being part of our us that we are called to be, for blessing us and being part of the line of awesomeness, for showing us the ways we can serve others and, and showing us glimpses of the kingdom and our Father's love and bearing that image. Also today as I wake up, I want to exhort you and encourage you with final words. So come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him.
with songs of praise. For our God is a great God, and Jesus is a great King above all kings. Let's give thanks to him for the countercultural sign of the kingdom. God bless you all.